Blue Collar Fitness. What is Blue Collar? Blue Collar is a mindset and attitude, and it's work that you can be proud of. I'm Trevor Powers. I'm Connor Burton. And I'm Josh Sargent. Whether you go to the gym, work at the gym, own the gym, or if you're just a creeper pretending to do curls watching girls on the elliptical, this podcast is for you, even you. All right, so we're here. Episode, official episode eight of the Blue Collar Fitness Podcast. Is this eight or is this nine? This is eight? It's eight. It's replacing last week's eight. Well, okay. What happened, okay. Josh? <laughs> All right, it's eight. We are uh, eight and great. Uh, we don't have Trevor today, so sorry. We don't have the, uh, the Texan in the house today, but uh, Connor and I are going to hold down the fort. And, uh, well, I'm here too. And, and we got, got Dave, Dave. the producer Dave. over there. Oh yeah, <laughs> producer Dave, absolutely. And for for those of you listening, um, we have a treat for you today. We have on a special guest. He has over twenty years of experience as a strength and conditioning coach. He is the sports performance supervisor at Samaritan Athletic Medicine in Corvallis, Oregon. And go Beavs! Go Beavs! Went to college at Miami University. British Columbia University, and to me, he is a mentor, coach. He has taught me a lot of valuable strengths and just overall life lessons to carry with me as a coach and as a personal trainer, all the way from British Columbia, Canada. Kyle Bagan, how are you doing? Great. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. Um, earlier, we were talking about uh, you just got, got done with, uh, can I mention the high school's name that you're at? Yeah, St. Am Christian. Um, when I was there two years ago, <laughs> I remember the That's last time I was there. You graduated two years ago, right? I graduated two years <laughs> after about six and a half years of college. Uh, I remember screaming my lungs out at the middle schoolers. Um, that was a good time. Um, was there a time where you realized that today's generation was different than when you first started coaching high schoolers, Kyle? Like, has it changed? That's a great. That's a great question. I think. There's more distractions for them now. Um, you know, I think they kind of get a bad rap that maybe they're a little entitled, but, you know, I've met plenty of good kids in every generation and plenty of entitled kids in every generation. So it's, you know, it's the same, but it's different. Um, I think just the, the underlying things and getting them, getting a relationship with them, getting them to buy in and things like that, um, that overall theme is definitely the same and will continue to always be the same, but how you build those relationships, you know, obviously they're not watching the same movies that you were when you were that age. So there's a little bit of a gap of, you know, relatability. And so I think, you know, you just need to be adaptable and, you know, try to learn what motivates them. What is their, why, why are they doing what they're doing? Uh, and hopefully get to, get to know them a lot better and then be able to train them better. Do your interns help you relate more to the generation that's younger each year or, or is it kind of not an issue? <laughs> it depends. Um, we've had some interns who are in the, uh, the culture, you know, who are in know what's going on. And then other, we have some others that, you know, kind of go by the beat of their own drum and maybe aren't quite as familiar with what's going on, but, um, yeah, every intern's different for sure. That wasn't me, by the way. I, I was 
I was making sure I knew what was going on or trying to. <laughs> you were very good at that. You helped us out a lot for sure. Thanks, Kyle. And uh, I remember uh, I was going back through my goals and what did I say? I mentioned, you know, I was a kinesiology student. Um, I had to write some goals and one of my purposes was to make sure to, what did I say? Make as much of a positive impact to the clientele at, at Sam Elite, which um, I did. And I had the privilege of, of you, Kimberly and Holly, as uh, you know, my mentors and coaches. And Kyle, can you, can you explain like how you started with Sam Elite when you got to Samaritan Athletic Medicine? And how, like you mentioned culture earlier, um, and how you've developed the culture to your training philosophy? Um, so we had moved to Corvallis about a year prior to me taking the job at Samaritan Athletic Medicine. Um, so just saw the job kind of come up and apply and, uh, not to disparage Samaritan, but their hiring process is a little slow. So I was kind of on the line for a little while trying to figure out if, if, you know, I did a good job in the interview and the, and mm -hmm. setting up a business plan and things like that. So, uh, kind of the great thing was that it was starting from the ground floor. Um, the person who had been the sports performance supervisor before me had been gone for six months. So that program pretty much went to nothing. Uh, and there wasn't a lot of directive in a good way of what I was supposed to do. So I could kind of mold it and, and do it however I wanted to. Um, so I think the big thing was to figure out, you know, I've worked in the private setting before a little bit and had some things that I didn't like. So I got to mold it exactly how I wanted to proceed business plan wise and things like that. Um, and then started getting some clients and then Kimberly jumped on board uh, pretty soon after we got it going. And we just sat down and really figured out, you know, what type of place do we want to be? Uh, so some of the things were we wanted to be a place that was inclusive, even though we were called Sam Elite, um, mm -hmm. you know, I think that describes the level of training that we could provide, not necessarily the clientele that has to be. Um, so wanted to be inclusive. Anyone with a goal will train is what we say. Uh, wanted to be a place that was welcoming to all, you know, genders, uh, sexual orientation, races, religions, you name it, we don't care, uh, you know, what those little aspects are, we other than we want to embrace them. Um, but we want you to feel comfortable, no matter, you know, what side of the political game you're on or anything like that. And you're just here to make your life better through fitness, and hopefully have a little bit of fun while you're doing it. Right. I remember, uh, there, there was a moment when I was like halfway through the internship and um, there was a, a lady that came in and, you know, she was of a certain religion where she, you know, you, you said, Hey, like she might want to train with just the female, um, sports performance specialist. And then mm -hmm. at, at some point me and you got the training her, and like, eventually she started to feel more inclusive and, uh, you know, welcoming like that, that was like, I didn't think that I would ever get the trainer and, uh, she would come in, um, she would leave with a smile and yeah, just like things like that. Like just the overall culture of the Sam elite was, I saw the impact with like the whole community in Corvallis and of the people who came in and like, that was, that was a big one. How yeah, cause you had some preconceived notions, sorry, you know, about male trainers and how we <laughs> would treat her and how we would be. And, you know, you and myself were able to show her that, Hey, we can be softies at heart too and good guys. And we don't have to scream in your <laughs> face and tell you what to do. And 
things like that. Yeah, we're relatable. How did, uh, for our listeners and, you know, maybe young listeners that are not in your position um, career-wise, if, if they're interested in getting to a position like yours, what is the road that you took uh, educationally and on your career path to end up where you're at today? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, obviously there's the degrees and there's the certifications, you know, talk about that, but hopefully everyone's heard it before, you know, obviously you got to put the work in, in school. Um, you know, don't necessarily, someone told me, it was my dad told me, you know, yeah, you got to pass the test, but learn what you want to learn while you're there and, and spend the time and extra, you know, so I was sitting there studying right. stuff that, you know, maybe the professor came, you know, on for five minutes, but I spent the next week, two weeks studying it because mm -hmm. I knew it was going to apply to the rest of my career. Um, but really the big thing for me is, you know, to get into personal training, to get into strength conditioning, there has to be some experience level. Um, you need to get in that gym and you need to get with a, you know, mentor or multiple mentors and just spend time in there, spend time observing, um, and being active while you're observing, bringing a notepad, write down every question that pops into your head. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? What exercise is that? You know, when you use that cue, what did you mean? All, all that stuff. Questions, questions, questions. Um, but yeah, being ready to put yourself out there to, you know, get, go beyond the classes. If you just think you're going to show up, go to class and get that job right when you walk out the door, it, it's not going to happen. You got to put that time in. So, you know, things that I did, um, sought out some mentors and, and spent time with them and actually ended up getting jobs in the summer eventually from them once I proved my medal, but also volunteering, you know, at University of British Columbia, Canadian university sport is nothing like the NCAA in terms of resources. So, you know, I went in, uh, the first day at UBC and went to the hockey coach who thankfully my dad knew a little bit. And I said, I want to train the hockey players. He said, great, but I need someone to sharpen skates. Mm. I was the equipment manager slash strength conditioning coach, uh, for my entire time at, at university of British Columbia. Um, was that your undergrad so, or your graduate yeah, work? That was my undergraduate degree. Good, good old bachelor's. So, yeah, because no one else would do it. Like, they're, they're, they didn't have a strength coach. They didn't have a place to work out. We literally worked out in the dressing room. We would pull uh, a bench and some put together weights from the back room, drag it into the dressing room. And that's where that hockey team worked out. And I gained more experience than I could ever say. And that that's really what set me up for the rest of my career, for sure. Um, you know, just finding someone who doesn't have a trainer and, going to get paid but you're also going to get to try a whole bunch of stuff and i think that's a common a common theme you know you between you've heard you know you can we've had some strength conditioning coaches on and you know you can listen to interviews of a lot of the best strength coaches in the world and that common theme is hey we put a lot of time in where we worked for free you know it, you know how many strength coaches have you heard that were living yeah. out of their car or you know, whatever. Yeah, doing, like graduate assistants, like right. literally living in the gym and you were having to live in the, the locker room gym, <laughs> like work, work there a lot and just yeah. work for free. And uh, like, he, like just adaptability to 
like when I was working first, I wasn't making a lot of money. And I think that like what you did, Kyle, was you're able to gain a lot of knowledge that helped you grow as a coach. And would you say that you have some of those, let's say, lessons that you carry with you now as a coach? Like, like so I think the biggest one that I learned at UBC was adaptability. Like it's, mm. it's very easy to train people with all the perfect equipment and the nice facilities and things like that. How do you train a group of, you know, pretty elite athletes? Um, you know, just cause they weren't pros didn't mean they couldn't play the game by any means. Right. How do you train them with barely anything and how do you get a good workout and how do you make it worth their time and things like that? Um, yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing I learned from those days, how to do something with nothing. I think that's a really important thing because then when you do have all the toys, it's even easier. Mm -hmm. What resources did you, you utilize to learn how to like a minimalist training style? You know, you, you know, I've experienced this at the, you know, with my gymnastics team, you know, going, I was at the SPC for three years at Oregon state and I got to work with the gymnast there. And then I ended up work, you know, I'm working with the gymnastics team now. Um, but it's, you know, the training is not the same. We have a, you know, a room that's maybe about the size of our studio here for 16 athletes to work out in. And you got some free weights, you know, and then some open floor. You don't have, you know, 22 Olympic lifting platforms with benches. And um, I, I'd be really interested to hear what resources you used and you know how you got creative to make those athletes better without all the toys. Ah. Oof, that's a long time ago. I'm trying to remember. It was mostly, <laughs> you know, I think it was the majority of it was, you know, there was so few books back then, you know, now there's just a plethora of, of resources, but you know, the few books that I had on strength and conditioning, and there was a couple specifically on hockey. I remember there's this book by this gentleman by the name of Jack Latherick. Um, that was kind of the very first hockey strength and conditioning book. And Thankfully, it was written in the early 80s, so mm. there wasn't a lot of equipment back then, so he had a lot of great ideas in that book. And then some other things, um, you know, looking at things that did use equipment and trying to figure out, okay, how can I do this without? What, you know, if it's holding a plate in front of you as opposed to putting a bar on your back or anything like that, just to try to, you know, add some resistance to work. And that, that was the biggest issue was trying to find, you know, how can we do resisted exercise in a non-resource, non-equipment scenario? Well, go, going back to resources um, and, you know, things to read. Kyle, you assigned me the book Conscious Coaching. Remember that one? Oh, yeah, Brett um, Bartholomew. Yeah, and, 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 and like, like you mentioned earlier that you, uh, you know, as a, as a coach, as a Samolite coach, um, you want inclusiveness and relatability and um, just being able to relate to young athletes. Like, I think that that book was great for upcoming personal trainers and strength and condition coaches, you know, training young athletes. Um, what would you say is a, is a big lesson you took away from that book? Uh, I think, so I had been following Brett for quite a while. And so it kind of heard the thesis of that book well before that book came out. But so for me, just specifically to that book is the archetypes were really helpful for me. Um, and so for everyone who may not know, just in that book, I think he lists 20 or so, you know, archetypes that you can 
fit people, you don't want to necessarily box them into those uh, different areas, but it gives you strategies on how to relate to those people and what their actual motivations are behind their behavior. You know, for example, the skeptic, why is that person mm. being skeptical about everything you do and giving you some strategies, strategies of how to deal with that. I really wish I had those years ago. Um, but, you know, just the overall thesis of Brett of, you know, it's just as much about the relationship as it is about the sets and reps. If you really want to get the most out of people and really want to provide a great service to people. And so that's really dictated, you know, the last 10 years or so of my career of moving more from, you know, I used to just think if the, if I had the perfect program, everything's going to work out. And now I really understand that it's how do you build trust? How do you build buy-in? And if you have those things and great, create a great culture around those interpersonal relationships, well, then that's half the battle, if not more. And do you find out the archetype and the type of person they are from the initial consultation and um, uh, consultation? What was the other word for it? Um, like your needs analysis? Like, yeah. yeah. Like, is that where, where you try to, you know, really get to know a person and kind of just explain, explain the culture of Sam Elite? I think I would say sometimes what you know, their personality just comes out right away and you're like, oh, okay, I, I know where you're coming from and you're starting to figure out, you know, how things are going to go um, in terms of the relationship. And then there's going to be some times where they are a little more closed off and a little more cautious and things like right. that. So you can't really get into it. And then there's also times where you think they're one way during the assessment and then you get to look, know them a little bit more and they're absolutely not that way. So you know, again, I think that gets back to a couple concepts of, you know, being adaptable. And then also, you know, I always say the assessment never ends. So, you know, assessment's just a snapshot. So I'm getting a snapshot of them when they walk in the door of where I can start with. But that assessment is always getting added to, taken away from, adjusted as I work with them to really, you know, from not only their movement standpoint and their training goals and, you know, what they need, um, from uh, biomotor abilities to, you know, how can I best coach this person in front of me? How do they best learn and how can I get the most out of them? Speaking mm -hmm. of assessments, I know you guys utilize the FMS and a lot of coaches have kind of thrown it aside as maybe um, overrated because I think it was sold to maybe do more than it um, actually does. But I would like to get your input on how you're actually able to utilize it effectively in your system and use it to, to make your athletes better and, and actually use it in a way that makes sense for your system um, to make your athletes better. Great question. Um, I do agree that it got oversold a little bit. Um, you know, it, I don't think it's an injury prediction tool per se, like there's some studies showing that if you score this, you're this likely to get injured and all that stuff. Um, I don't pay much attention to that, to be honest, because I'm using it to determine what can they do safely when they walk in for workout number one. Um, and where do they fall on the spectrum of movements in that variety of movements that are in that um, 
functional movement screen. So again, it's just, I think an important aspect of that is it's a screen. And so right. that's telling you that it's not going to give you all the answers. It's just making sure that A, they aren't in pain during any movements, and B, do they have at least a minimum level of competence in that movement so I can feel a little bit competent, uh, confident in being able to load them when they come in for that first session. And if they don't have that competence, well, then now I know uh, that we need to make sure we get that to a certain level before we can load it. Uh, you know, I think another thing with that functional movement screen is there's some really good information out there that's not provided by that company, but other people have taken that. And where do you go beyond that? Because again, with that screen, it's just really giving you a high level of information. You know, just because someone's deep squat is a one, that, that that's not telling you why. And so I've spent the last you know few years after I got comfortable with it is diving into some more assessments. And okay, if if they don't score that three level, I want to check out some other things first to see if I can find out why it's not you know a perfect movement or a. a you know, high, high competency level movement. And then that just gives me more information. You know, what Would, type of corrective exercises do I want to put in terms of warm up? Uh, what type of, what level of exercises in our progressions and regressions can we start them at? And, you know, start to build that roadmap, roadmap aka the program uh, for each individual. Would you say that's the biggest strength then of the FMS in your system is that it gives you, well, it's, it's a screen, right? Make sure they're, you can load a movement without pain. But then if they don't score well, you know what correctives you put in their program, you know, and it's, it's a system that makes it so you don't leave any holes. Yeah, systems are very big uh, with Sam Lee, with our business model, because we're not personal training, so I can't spend a ton of time on each person. I need to have some quick answers. It's like semi-product semi training. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I would say that's that's a that's how we use it for sure. Um, and just getting back to people not using the FMS, to me, it's movement screen. The FMS versus everybody. It's if you're telling me you know, I don't use the FMS, but I do these movement screens before I put load on someone or even, you know, higher levels of load. If you want to start with, you know, really light stuff and then that can help you figure it out. I'm all for that. I got no argument with that. You know, it's, the FMS is what I use because I'm comfortable with it, to be totally honest with you. And, you know, like I said, I've learned more and how to dive deeper. Uh, but. I'm not going to argue with anyone whether the FMS is better than their movement screen system as long as they're movement screening. Well, kind of going back to um, certifications, uh, we, we had a question for you know personal trainers starting out, just getting their CPT, and also strength and conditioning coaches. What supplementary certifications would you recommend, Kyle? As far as you know, you know beyond the volunteering, beyond the mentorship, you know. You got, you got your CPT your, or your CSCS. What else would you recommend uh, beyond that? Uh, I would continue to ask questions of what are they wanting to do? Because I think that's a really important question. You know, 
where do you want to go with that? Are you wanting to be on the more rehab side? Well, then, mm. you know, maybe the FMS certification or there's some other certifications around corrective exercise would be the recommendation that I would give you uh, versus you want to be more on the sports performance side. Well, then there's some things with, you know, sprinting mechanics and things like that that I think are really, really helpful. Um, you know, if you want to be more in the just pure fitness side, well, maybe you need to start getting into nutrition certifications and using that to really help your clients and things like that. So I don't think there's one specific one. I think, you know, that CPT or CSCS, like you said, is the starting mm -hmm. point. And then you can go anywhere with that. And like Kyle, you've got your precision nutrition um, certification. Like how has that helped you as a strength coach with your athletes? And are there specific, like, was there a time where you found a specific age group that you needed to tell that information or give, you know, recommendations like, Hey, this time you got to eat this. Cause I feel like that would be, um, a good, you know, good place to use that certification is with athletes and, you know, nutrition. Uh, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And that's where I did was, uh, I got that when I was at Michigan tech. So I was at Michigan tech university for seven years. Uh, they had division one hockey and division two football, basketballs, volleyball, soccer, tennis. And I think that's, that's the majority cross country and things like that. So we were in a position, small school, did not have her own nutritionist. You know, I saw that as a real gap in the athletic department where we weren't, we didn't have great nutrition information. And so I went ahead and got that certification to be able to provide those athletes with a lot more guidance and help and things like that. And so in that situation, it was, you know, awesome and very useful. Uh, since then, being in the private sector, you know, I really haven't used it very much other than some very general guidelines. Um, you know, I try to be a little bit cautious, you know, more in the private sector. You don't want to be getting any lawsuits or anything like that. And the good thing is at Samaritan, if anyone has any questions, we have full on registered dietitians. So, you know, it'd be pretty egotistical of me to think that I know more than they do. So I would be sending a referral out to them. When it was a... Uh... A time where you were at uh, Michigan Tech, do, did you find yourself doing more nutritional counseling? Like, because you have a history of you know teaching and coaching. Um, did you find yourself teaching athletes or giving them programs instead? You know, like meal plans. I never got as far as meal plans. Um, you know, always kind of bit was a little bit nervous to go that far. Mm -hmm. um, I think if they need to get into specific numbers of how much they should be and things like that. You know, that's getting into the referral process. Um, but for at Michigan Tech, it was, okay, here's some general information and some guidelines that we talk about all the time. You know, um, I would just, while they were warming up, you know, sometimes we'd have a topic of the day and, and I'd discuss, you know, protein needs or, or things like that where we can send out some general recommendations. And then, you know, again, very, you, you tend to have a very good... Uh, relationship with your college athletes because you spend so much time with them you know they're yours for four years quite often so that rapport is there for them to oh, okay he knows about this I can start asking some more specific questions and so I kind of used that general info to then lead to if anyone needed any you know more help they could talk to me and if I felt like I could give them good advice 
I would. And if it was beyond my capabilities, then we would refer out. How much overlap did that certification have with your CSCS, which is, you know, one chapter in the book? Right. I would say very little. <laughs> very little. Yeah. Yeah. Precision nutrition. What I really liked about it is, you know, getting back to talking about the art of coaching. It went pretty heavy into nutrition, nutrition science, way beyond any undergraduate. Um, I don't, I did not take any graduate level courses in sports nutrition, but way beyond any undergraduate sports nutrition, I classes I took. Um, so a lot of information there, but then the second half was all about, you know, changing people's habits, how to use, you know, how to correct behaviors, how to set them on the right path to be able to, you know, incorporate these nutrition habits. And they did it, you know, in terms of habit forming, as opposed to just, you know, this is the recommendation and this is how you do it. And so that's what I talked to the athletes about a lot was, Hey, let's, you know, what is one thing you can change to make your nutrition better? Let's just work on that one thing. Okay. Oh, a month later, you've got it figured out. You've got that dialed in. Okay. What's one more thing you think you could change and just, mm. you know, snowballing it as opposed to, you know, to expect an 18, 19, 20 year old, you know, young athlete to go from McDonald's every day, uh, to only, chicken breasts and vegetables is pretty unrealistic, but how can we make one step in the right direction and then another step and et cetera. That psychology has to be <laughs> yeah. seriously overlooked with a lot of, uh, trainers, you know, or, you know, anyone, uh, I, I'm going to have to look into that certification. I'm sure our listeners will be, uh, will probably be looking at that too. Going back to, uh, graduate school, um, I'm going to ask this one for myself here. I'm about to start grad school in mm -hmm. a month. So, uh, that'll be cool doing a sports performance, um, master's degree at uh, Rocky mountain university, um, for myself. And then also for any of our listeners that may be looking at pursuing grad school or going in, what are some things that maybe you would have focused on, you know, looking back while you're at, at your time, you know, you're at in graduate work and how would you maximize your time there to make sure that you become the best coach that you can? Yeah. Um, not to sound bragging, but I, I feel like I did exactly what I went there to do. Um, so I went there to go be around an NCAA strength program and school was secondary for me to be totally honest. And so that's what I did. I went there and I spent hours upon hours in the, the gym and at the rink every day. Um, and then the school was kind of on top of that. Uh, the good news with graduate school is in terms of the content, it was actually, a lot, I felt like it was a lot of repeat from my undergraduate degree. Um, so it was just more the work of learning how to do research, how to read research, how to get those topics and, and, you know, how to synthesize research into, you know, a new thesis and things like that. That's, that's really what I learned during that master's program. Uh, not sure I've used those skills since other than, you know, reading the, the latest research on various topics, but I haven't written anything, uh, you know, research paper wise since then. And I don't think I hopefully ever will. Um, <laughs> but 
it, it was a good experience because I knew exactly what I was going for before I got in. And then the other aspect was, you know, I got a graduate assistantship, so I didn't really, I didn't pay for school. And so it was, it was free. And so that was, that made everything a lot better. You know, it made the fact that, oh, I'm doing all these research papers that I don't really, I don't feel like are helping me or doing anything, but I didn't pay for it. So at least I can just shut up and do it and get that, go. Get that piece of paper and, and move on from there. You know, I think if, you know, someone's thinking about gaining a master's, it's, you got to sit there and think, what is my end goal? What is my purpose? And am I willing to put more dollars towards that? And if the answer is yes, then go at it and go at it a hundred percent. And if it's a little wishy-washy, well then I think you need to think about it a little more. And if it's paid for, you might as well do it. Absolutely. If, if you, yeah, that's the thing. Find a graduate assistantship. You should probably work harder at that than you should at actual graduate school. That gives you more hands-on experience in, like in, in your experience, Kyle, getting access to that collegiate weight room. And uh, how, could, how could one get or attain access to a graduate assistantship? Like, how did you go about that, you know, during your, uh, your career at Miami? I did it probably pretty uh, roundabout slash not probably the traditional way. Um, so I knew that I wanted to work with hockey strength conditioning at the NCAA level. Uh, so there are 60 uh, Division One hockey teams at that time. So I went to all the websites of every school and found out which ones had a master's program in exercise science or kinesiology or something that I would actually be interested in. That knocked it down to, I think, 15 and started to first um, not even apply to school, but start reaching out to the hockey coaches or the strength and conditioning coaches to see if they were you know, interested in even having me around, let alone letting me be a graduate assistant. Um, and so again, my dad came through, uh, you know, having a dad who's been in hockey for, you know, his entire life. Uh, he coached someone who then coached the person who was the assistant coach at Miami. Uh, so got in that way. Um, and then, yeah, and then applied. And then my graduate assistantship wasn't even with strength conditioning. I just volunteered with them. Um, my graduate assistantship was teaching activity classes. And because I was Canadian, I counted for the international graduate students. So that helped those numbers for the school. And also being Canadian, I knew how to teach how to skate. And that was one of the pack classes. So I was in. I don't there think you we go. looked That's at awesome. my grades. <laughs> so That's I, fantastic. I, I, yeah, I lucked out for sure. You know, all the all the uh, pieces aligned for me to go there, and obviously it's worked out very well. I had to know know how to skate, and <laughs> it was probably a lot of fun going to grad school in Miami. The uh, Miami sounds like a great city. It's actually Miami it University. Was Miami of Ohio. Oh, yeah. gotcha. <laughs> I was like, man, that would have been hard. Would have been hard to focus but, on school in Miami, man. I know. <laughs> it was still. Ohio. It's still an, it was an unbelievable school, you know, coming from Canada, you know, you see all these movies about American college and that lifestyle. And that's very different than how it is in Canada. 
Um, but Miami was the stereotypical of that. So getting to have that experience and kind of see all the craziness was pretty fun. Yeah, Ohio must have been quite the place. Um, yeah, I feel like that's that's a long journey. Um, how was your experience at uh, Michigan Tech? Because you, you were the head strength and conditioning coach there for seven years? Yeah, so I was the head strength coach of hockey throughout that entire time. My first two years, again, these uh, hybrid jobs. I, I was the hockey strength and conditioning coach and also the hockey video coach that for two years and then I did a good job with hockey and then they promoted me to be the head strength coach for the entire athletic department. That's pretty awesome and and that's where you did your undergrad right? Oh that was at University of British Columbia. Oh gotcha gotcha that makes sense. I've moved around you did that you did that after your graduate degree. Yes exactly so yeah my time at Michigan Tech was unbelievable Um, some of the greatest kids you know that division two level uh is a little bit different you know they're doing it a little more for the love of the game but yet they're still we still have kind of the division one schedule which is great as a strength coach because i get to dictate when they're there and all that fun stuff so i had a lot more control um but yeah really enjoyed it uh you know great people up there um you know that's what i remember the most is is the relationships i had and you know, like I said, it wasn't the biggest resource school, but we had enough and able to do what we needed to do. Then you, you met your wife there, right? Or you met your wife at a Miami? At, at Miami, yeah. So that was another another uh, bonus of My, Miami, to- Ohio, not Florida. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been fun too. Um, I was th- thinking about injury, you know, like injury rehab, like Samaritan. Um, it's a big place for that. Do, do you ever get? clients or athletes that well here's here's the thing that we were thinking about asking is uh is there a common injury that you come across kyle like within you know whether you're coaching high school athletes middle school or just people within the private sector is there a most common injury and how do you um deal with that or rehab that as a coach um that's a good question i think anterior knee pain is probably the most common thing that we see and deal with um maybe that and back pain and the funny thing is they both kind of get fixed the same way uh so anterior knee pain people tend to be way too knee dominant they don't use their hips enough don't use their glutes enough um can't control their knees while they're doing lunging and squatting and things like that and so uh working on that in addition to you know a comprehensive strength conditioning program typically really helps those people out uh and then low back same thing they're they're using their low back as opposed to using their hips and so teaching them how to use you know the strongest muscles in their body uh knowing understanding that it's core stability not crunches in order to you know get those low backs healthy is another big thing that helps them out and yeah i would say those are probably the two most common things we see and work on with people um you know there's obviously sometimes that manifests itself in you know a variety of different weird things and that's kind of the fun part of this is you know every person that walks in front of you is a bit of a puzzle and you get to try to solve it how do you uh as a strength coach uh make sure that you stay in your scope of practice 
I mean, you guys have athletic trainers and physical therapists and medical doctors all around you as well over there at Samaritan, right? So you're able to draw upon them. But then also, how do you, as a strength coach, um, play your strong your, to your strengths and, and utilize your knowledge to help those athletes out and, and still work on rehab? Great, great question. I think for me, the thing is pain. So if I can't get someone to move without pain, um, and yeah, there might be some discomfort and things like that, but if I can't get them to even with decreased range of motion, like, you know, obviously squatting not as low or deloading them or whatever trick I can try, if I can't get them to move like they need to move without pain, that's where my scope of practice ends. And that's where, you know, they're getting referred specifically to a physical therapist to be able to get them out of that pain in that movement. Um, you know, I think I fall into the getting people to move better, you know, which obviously goes across with physical therapy and athletic training, getting them stronger, which goes across. But I think pain is that line for me. If I can't get them to move in a you know, certain movement without pain, we might keep training other movements that are pain-free. But if I can't get, you know, for example, that squat to just be no pain, no matter what we try, that's where I call the physical therapist in. And then there's plenty of other times where, you know, again, I've talked about that puzzle being solved. You know, I just can't figure out that one piece, you know, even though I don't have to fully refer it to physical therapy. That's the great thing about Samaritan Athletic Medicine is we have a bunch more ex experts that I could go bounce ideas off of or ask their opinion on. And, you know, quite often that's, that's very helpful. And it goes that's, both ways. Yeah. That's holistic medicine, man. That's, that's how it should be. You're able to refer yeah. and utilize each other's strengths. And I think, uh, I think that's the future. You guys have a, a really awesome thing going there. What educational resources did you use to hone your skills more on the, you know, the, the rehabilitation side? And it seems like your strength is, you know, a lot of times physical therapists will get them to the point where they can function daily without yeah. pain. And then it yeah. seems like what you guys do is take them from, you know, like I was talking about with her, you know, she could walk now after the ACL injury, but you know, one leg is five inches larger than the other. She's not confident to go do anything other than walk upstairs. Um, what, what did you, what resources did you use to become proficient at, at that level of rehabilitation? Uh, so short answer is the internet. Because uh, I started as a strength conditioning coach. I wouldn't say it was pre-internet, but it definitely wasn't the resource for strength conditioning that it is now. So, you know, so that's been a huge aspect of it. Um, I was a member, uh, have been a member of this place called strengthcoach.com, which is Mike Boyle's kind of website. Yeah. Forums on it. I, I probably, that was more helpful than my master's degree and my undergraduate degree combined. You know, wow. I learned so much for the, from those people there because, you know, back then I was not working at a physical therapy clinic. Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, you run into these things and you can just post a question on those forums and you're getting, you know, full on pro strength coaches, high level college strength coaches answering your questions. So that was unbelievable. Um, you know, obviously some books and, and finding, you know, some virtual mentors, like, and I'm not saying uh, doing video conferences, but just people who 
don't even know who I am, but who have taught me so much. Like uh, Eric Cressy, Mike, well, I've met Mike Boyle a few times now, but, you know, Dan John, uh, Gray Cook, um, you know, people like that, Derek Hansen, uh, who really have taught me just an absolute ton. And then uh, when I was in Ohio, went to a lot of conferences, and I think that was really helpful. And the learning outside of the presentations was just as much inside getting to know other strength coaches and being able to ask those questions face to face and things like that. Um, I think the, the biggest thing is just keep being curious. And that's, that's what I've always been is just, you know, wanting to learn more. And, you know, I kind of know this, but learn more, I need to figure it out more. Right. So you reach out to other professionals within your field, like, other masters that have done bodies of work, you know, in strength and conditioning and have some more philosophies, philosophies to you, Kyle. Um, what would you say that you share with those guys like Dan John? Like, you know, they, a lot of them like Dan John, Eric Cressy, believe in, you know, push, pull, have some kind of a drag. Um, what do you share with them, Kyle? And how do you differ as far as your training philosophy because I learned a lot at Samaritan and I think that it's unique to me, but it helped me become, become the strength coach that I am today. But um, yeah, so like how do you compare to them and how do you differ? I compare is I'm not as smart as they are and much, much worse. Um, but similar, I think the big thing is, you know, coming from the thought process of doing no harm, letting that being the first, you know, overall guiding principle. Uh, making movement quality the most important aspect of what we do. Um, you know, training those movements, not muscles, things like that. Uh, you know, being evidence-based. And by that, I don't just mean, you know, reading articles and things like that. But what, you know, what is your objective and subjective feedback telling you in terms of how the training is going? Is it working? Is it not working? Do I need to change things and things like that? As opposed to just writing that, you know, I always say our programs, even though they're printed out, they're written in pencil. You know, I think you remember that Connor is, you know, we provide a lot of room in our programs to be able to scribble notes or, you know, change an exercise or things like that. Cause it's pretty easy sitting at a computer thinking like, oh yeah, that person can do this. Right. And then you get in front of them and, or they might be having just a bad day and it's not going to work that day. And what do we need to do to, to fix that? And there's, um, a, there's, a, there's those puzzles coming back. Like everybody's a puzzle. And um, you taught me a lot about, you know, each exercise having an, an easier version, a regression or a harder version progression or a lateralization. So that was, yeah, pencils are nice. <laughs> exactly. Uh, in terms of how we differ, I don't know. I, th I think they probably have, I just feel like they have more, strengths than I do. You know, Eric Cressy is a shoulder master. I kind of know the shoulder and I'm getting better at it, but my knowledge is nowhere near his. Um, you know, Dan John is probably more, he's a way better Olympic lifting coach than I am and programmer than I ever could be. So things like that. So that's the great thing is I've learned so much from them and there's still more to learn. You know, that's, that's why I love this profession so much is I haven't stopped learning since the day I started. And, you know, when you first get out of undergrad, you think you know everything, right? And then you start to learn that, you know, oh, there's, there's more to know. And now 20 years in, I feel like I know nothing. Like there's so much more that I don't know than what I do know.
yeah, the, the industry is continuing to grow and, you know, with the NSCA and like a lot of different, you know, conferences, you can, you can learn so much. And speaking of profession, professionals, Kyle, you spoke at the NSCA conference, right? Two years ago? Michigan. Way Michigan. Long time <laughs> so a couple of questions. Uh, were you nervous? <laughs> How was that as far as preparing for it? Did you write a lot? Did you talk, you know, did you like, do you speak just like with yourself or you know, how was that? I didn't practice enough. Probably should have practiced a little more, maybe in front of a mirror or so. Uh, when it comes to public speaking, I usually like to wing it. And mm. I maybe should have been a little more, little more prepared. Um, I think all of them are on YouTube. Yeah, it's on your um, presentations on YouTube. I found it on, on your website. Way, right. It says way too much, too many times. Uh, but other than that, I thought it went pretty well. I wanted to provide a really practical uh, presentation. Um, and so that, that was kind of what I sought out to do is, you know, I always find it interesting of people working at different places here. Here's what we're doing. And this is what the results are that we're finding. And, you know, something that you can steal and start using right away on the next Monday, I think is always a great presentation. And so that's, that's the route I took and, People got something out of it. The most applicable information. Um, I actually found it on, not on YouTube, on your website. What was it the WordPress? Web, what was that website that you had? Bangingathleticdevelopment.wordpress.com. That was way back when. I know, right? <laughs> is that still a thing or is that? A well, I, I shared it with Josh. There's there's some great content for the uh, CSCS. That's study right. Materials. You, you did send yeah. me that. Okay. Is it up to date, Kyle? <laughs> Uh, for the most part, I mean, the science stuff hasn't changed, so that that's still applicable for sure. Yeah, it, it still exists, but I haven't updated it in a long, long time. It's just not something I have the time for, unfortunately. Oh, and um, which website would you prefer for, you know, pushing you as far as like, I want to post some resources. So where can people go to, to find you? Because I wanted to do that in the intro, but uh, I also forgot. The, big, the best one is my email address. So kbangin at samhealth.org. If anyone has anything, please feel free to email me at any time. Um, you know, I love giving back. Uh, in terms of other stuff, we, we've got some things on Instagram at Sam Elite Trainers. Um, and you can message us through Instagram as well as you kids like to do these days. But, you know, I've, I feel funny, but I'm old school in that I like email. <laughs> Like, I don't know why that's old school, but apparently it is. So, so that's K banging at Sam Elite Trainers uh, email. Banging at, at samhealth.org. K, okay, K banging at Sam Health. We'll put that in the show notes and Kyle, then also put your, your uh, Instagram. Kyle, remember when I, when I first, well, I watched your presentation. <laughs> when I first met you, I mean, you could say you're kind of old school, but you, you adapted a new school approach. You said, all right, everybody, you know, I'm, I'm Kyle Bangin, this, this and that. And then you said, all right, now everybody pull out your phones. Here we are, a bunch of like 22-year-olds. And they're like, what? I was kind of taking it back. And he's like, pull out your Instagram, look up, uh, you know, uh, Sam Elite Trainers. I was like, that was pretty cool. And then you got to see like all the content. There's video demonstrations of, you know, different exercises and everything you do at the gym. So, yeah, that, yeah, that I was really. Watching, I was watching a lot of uh, Gary Vaynerchuk at the time. Yeah, Gary V, let's <laughs> go. <laughs> Crush it. D D Dave, yeah, Dave loves Gary V. Crushed it. That's a good book. <laughs> He's absolutely awesome. 
so yeah, I, I kind of stole that from him. I, I think he did that at a presentation. And so I stole that from him. Just And I just wanted to give people an idea of, of what we do. And, you know, I think, you know, I just love this profession. However you want to do it, you can go out and do it. And so I come from that team training background. And so no disrespect to any personal trainers out there, but I, I get distracted so bad when I work on one-on-one -on -one with someone, I need chaos. So I like it when the gym is busy. I like it when I'm running around barking, you know, correct corrections and cues at 15 different people at the same time. Cause that's what I grew up with a little bit. And that's, how I cut my teeth in the strength conditioning world. And so that's what I like to do. Um, so I just wanted to give those, you know, give those students an idea of that um, and show them that there's plenty of ways to do this and you get to do it however you want. Yeah, that's uh, make sure you guys follow Kyle. Uh, I fall, I followed him I think now for two years. Well, the uh, Sam elite. Yeah. Uh, Instagram. You guys get a lot of great resources there. Is there anything else you want to add for our listeners uh, before before we head out here? Uh, I think just you know make sure the you know I think I'm very fortunate to still be doing this 20 years later, and the reason is passion. So you know whether it's strength conditioning, personal training, whatever, find what you're passionate about, and then just relentlessly pursue it, and that's how you be happy. So. I want everyone to be happy, so go do that. All right, guys. So if you want any more information from Kyle, follow Kyle Bingen and the Sam Elite crew at Sam Elite Trainers on Instagram. And then for email, kbingen at samhealth.org. And Kyle, thank you, thank you a lot for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, you've been a great coach and mentor for me for the last, well, has it been, has it been two years? About two years, yeah, two, two years. years since you, yeah, you did it. You did your internship in the summer, and people still ask about you, and that's always the good, yes. the best judge of a intern is: are they remembered? Do people still ask mm. how's Connor doing? Did you have you ever, have, do you ever talk to Connor anymore? And our answer is always yes, which is great. So we appreciate uh -huh. you uh, keeping in touch with us, and I'm so proud of everything you've accomplished so far. And I know you're just beginning, so. Excited to see you. Thank you. I'm humbled. Awesome. We'd love to have you back on, Kyle. Let's, let's do it again soon. <laughs> Thanks for listening. That's another episode of Blue Collar Fitness. You can follow Connor at Mr. Connor Burton on Instagram, and my website is ConnorBurtonTraining.com. You can follow me at Josh Sergeant Training or at Sarge Josh on Instagram, and you can follow Dave at uh, I'm Dave.Shep on Instagram, and then my website is PotentialInEveryone.com. And, and Trevor's our, not here, but at T-Chase Powers. Our fourth <laughs> host is T-Chase Powers on Instagram. And thank you for listening to another episode of the official episode eight of the Blue Car Fitness <laughs> Podcast. And, and we're out. We're out. Thank you.